0: Episode 18 with Denise DeFran. This was a fun one. Uh, we got a chance to get together on a day off when I was in Calgary. We tried a few times to connect, but just our schedules didn't work out. But this time, it finally worked. And I thank uh, Denise for uh, driving up to the airport uh, where I was staying to do this podcast. And you can hear the airplanes and stuff in the background. So that's what that's all about. Uh, Denise, a fantastic fiddle player. And I've been enjoying uh, getting together with all these different fiddle players and violinists from across Canada. Uh, I'm going to continue to do that. So sit back and relax. Enjoy this one. Once again, episode 18. We're here with Denis. And I was pronouncing that correct, right? Yeah, yep, that's it. So what's your background? Obviously, French background? French no? background, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean sort of. Sort of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The family is. My my sister and I. That's that's sort of the ongoing joke, is you know, we'd get together for family reunions and my sister and I were the only ones that couldn't speak French. So oh, yeah. we never knew what the hell was going on. But yeah. the family
0: is. <laughs> so the family was based from where?
1: Yeah. Uh, Shonovan, Saskatchewan. Oh really? Yeah. Actually just outside of that a little town called Dollard, little French community. Yeah. And uh I mean everyone sort of migrated there and
0: From Quebec? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, and then ended up in that small small little French town and eventually everyone kinda any, anyone from like that small town Saskatchewan that's near the Swift Current area yeah. kind of ends up into Madison Hat. So that's that's where I grew up. The big city. The big city.
0: It's funny. It's because uh, I was just there the other day. We are just talking about that. And um, we mentioned it's sort of like it's kind of on its own. Yeah. It really is because it's really kind of too far. I mean, it's three hours to Calgary, which is not bad, but it's not really you wouldn't want to go And I guess maybe some people do. I wouldn't want to go to Calgary just for a concert and drive all the way back home again.
1: Not too many of them. No. Medicine Hat's funny that way and always has been. You know, I live in Calgary now and have for a long time. So to get anywhere in this city is at least 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. You know, anywhere you're going, especially if you're gigging downtown, you know, you, you prep yourself an hour. Yeah. And in Medicine Hat, I go back there and hang out with my buddies and... You know, to get to the other side of town is literally 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. And they're yeah. like, oh, I don't want to go to Crescent Heights. That's all, all the way to the other side so of town. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm like, holy cow, you guys.
0: <laughs> I know I'm in, uh, I'm close to Kitchener-Waterloo, and the people there are the same thing. They don't want to go to the other side of Waterloo or into Kitchener. <laughs> and I literally drive from my house just to get to Starbucks, which is a ritual every almost every morning is almost like exactly 22 minutes which is about the same amount of time it would get you to the other side of town sure and it's like i just do that to get a starbucks yep and you know (laughs) someone doesn't want to meet for like a dinner or whatever on the other side of town because it's too far away yeah but i guess when you're used to rural living uh, yeah a drive like that's not a big deal well, and especially
1: like for what I do for a living too, mm. right? It's like we, that that's sort of the ongoing joke is the music portion is free, but you travel for a living because yeah. that's, that's the, <laughs> the crappy part. Yeah. Oh, I got to drive eight hours today to get to the next gig. Holy smokes.
0: I know. But it, it's getting to the point where I'm, I'm trying to make that way better all the time. So it's, yeah, if the longest kind of drive we'll do is maybe be six tops and we'll try to make that a day off. Sure. Um, But you still have to do it sometimes. Sometimes there's that, you know, you have to drive that eight hours, especially when you're out here in the West. A bus is not so bad,
1: but no in a van or on your own, that sucks.
0: (laughs) And I like buses. They're great, but I like being able to, when I'm parked at a hotel or you're somewhere and you want to go somewhere. Yeah you have the vehicle that you can just go totally and i miss that on the bus that drives me crazy it's like
1: yeah you're almost a prisoner there
0: yeah because in the morning i like to just get up and tour around town or go somewhere or go to the store or yeah starbucks or yeah. do something and if you know if you have to fire up the bus and ask the driver to go take you to
2: starbucks <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> it's like stupid but it has this,
0: it has its pluses but uh there's sometimes i just prefer to be in a a vehicle sometimes, or have yep. the option of having. I guess the best thing would be just to have a bus, and then have someone have a vehicle waiting for yeah, you yeah, wherever exactly. you go. That's the life. <laughs> so, I grew up in Saskatchewan. Well, um, Medicine what kind Hat. Of
1: medicine yeah, hat? yeah. We left left Saskatchewan yeah, real early. Really, yeah. Yeah. So my my upbringing was in Medicine Hat, and uh, went through conservatory training there. So yeah, classical music. When I I guess I was four when I started.
0: Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Four and a four in a little bit. Yeah. I started Suzuki Method.
1: That's how I started as well. Yeah. Yeah. I did that for, I guess, a year. And then a new teacher came into town and he was anti Suzuki. And uh, so moved over to him. And that's, and his wasn't even really Royal Conservatory training. He just sort of did his thing. Yeah. Which was really good. We were really blessed. His name was Bill Vandersloot. And, The Vandersloot family is quite well known in Medicine Hat and all over the place. So he just, he excelled. He was this young, vibrant, uh, serious teacher. And he took on, oh gosh, I don't know. Maybe there were seven of us, you know, just a small group of students. But, uh, you know, we we started to learn pretty early that we were with
0: something pretty special there. So, Do you remember, uh, I talked earlier with... uh, on another pa- podcast about doing the Suzuki method, okay. and I don't remember hardly anything about it besides the very beginning where you, I played with an instrument with was shaped like a violin but had no strings or anything on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you do that too? Do you yeah, remember
1: that? my dad. My dad made it. It was a ruler and a raisin brand box. Huh. That's what it was. <laughs> two scoops. <laughs> yeah, two scoops. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, awesome. And I was okay with that. I know he tried my sister as well. She he wanted to try to get her into violin and did, yeah, it was that oh. wasn't working for her at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I stuck with it and eventually graduated to a real one. Yeah. And that was a big part of uh switching the teacher as well. You yeah. Know, he's like, What are you doing with this? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Get a real violin, let's get going. So and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play music. So
0: Yeah, I I switched to uh, a real teacher as well. Not far. I don't think I did Suzuki much more than a few months. Yeah. I don't really remember. Um, and then, yeah, a, a private teacher, Mr. Yep. Edmonds, Okay. Um, in Woodstock, Ontario. And he was, yeah, same. It wasn't, and it was kind of a mix with him for me. We He wasn't a country guy, for sure. Yeah. Um, he was more classical, but he didn't sure. steer me. Because um, <clears throat> I think he knew that, you know, we had a family band at the time and you know we were playing country music so i think he tried to steer me yeah that direction okay and uh i still have little <laughs> tapes or cassette tapes somewhere of lessons um uh, oh yeah i have to try to find them where um he was trying to stop me from sliding in the notes all the time yeah yeah uh-huh. <laughs> and it's you know it's been an issue of my whole life it's like yeah he's a sliding and everything that's the oh, country yeah. way to do it but
1: Yeah. Well, and my teacher was, yeah, he was very, very strict classical. Yeah. So, and he knew that my family was musical and, uh, you know, my dad and my uncles played and he enjoyed that, but he was, (laughs) he was also very adamant of making sure that I wasn't learning any bad habits from the, you know, that other type of music, you know, you got to really listen to classical. And if you're playing classical, it's gotta be, you know, (laughs) I had a bad habit of, uh, I, I would hear the music and then I'd kind of make it my own. He's like, "Hey, yeah. you don't do that with Bach. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really? Because okay. I think this sounds great. Like, <laughs> no, no, he's rolling around in his grave right now listening to you. Ooh, that's a little harsh, but that's, you know, that's how he was. And uh, which I mean, I know eventually he kind of he changed his tune a little bit just because a lot of his students, so there was myself, and uh, I don't know if you know, Jesse Zubot? I know the name. Yeah, he's a great mm-hmm. jazz fiddle player out in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, we grew up together playing in quartets together and that sort yeah. of thing. But uh, very early, uh, the two of us, and his little brother Josh too, uh, just into very different styles of music. Yeah. And you know, as we started growing up and he got to see us kind of blossom and do our own thing, that's when he really started you know i think i think getting into yeah okay i can get behind the fact that these guys have classical technique but they're now they're doing this so
0: yeah it's interesting because there's that always that technique thing cuz if i look at it now if i were to teach a young student you'd want to teach them a certain amount of technique yeah but then i think there's a portion that i think everyone's different right sure you get there a certain Your own way. Um, I was always like that, like in math or something in school. I always, you know, you you'd have to have your lines done a certain way, and you just have to show how you got there. I always knew the answer, but I just never knew how I got there. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. I think it's the same thing with playing. Is I think in at in the end when you get older, as long as you get there, and as long as you're playing it and doing it your way, yeah. It really doesn't matter if you hold the bowl correctly or if you're Yeah. You know, yeah. I think I think in certain ways help, but I see a lot of classical uh, musicians who, who couldn't play country stuff because they're stuck in oh, big time, playing yeah. uh, their technique is so stiff, yeah, if you want to put it that way. Sure, yeah. That they can't play certain things. They yeah. can't play orange boss special right um because they're stuck in that way so in or theory th- is it the right way to learn right you know what I mean yeah because it's I think it's good to a point but then uh once you know once you've kind of learned the basics I think it's good to kind of just sort of see what works for you
1: yeah it, you know it was years ago I was in this group called barrage mm-hmm. and at that point, I knew classical and then I had gone off to Capilano in Vancouver to take jazz performance. So I was learning how to play jazz and learning how to improvise. And even at that point, you know, they they really focused on swing, but uh, I still, I got it, but I didn't get it. And it wasn't until Barrage where I was learning I didn't even know like celtic music existed and yeah. you know jigs and reels and you know i'm thinking i'm playing it right <laughs> and these and you know these real fiddlers are going whoa dude you're no you're doing it wrong I'm like what do you mean i'm doing it wrong yeah you know and then you you needed to hear the lilt you needed to hear the swing and the you know the bit pitipa patipa yeah you know and that sort of thing and then and that's really where i got probably my best education was just sinking yourself into it and playing those styles yeah and then eventually uh, you know I got off the road and I was helping coach uh, you know there's quite a few fiddlers in Calgary here the Bow Valley fiddlers and the Calgary fiddlers and I was asked to come in and coach them and that's probably the biggest lesson I could give is you know which is horrible but mm-hmm. lose your classical technique lose that like just Forget that yeah, and really listen. You got to listen to what, you know, what's happening in the music. How is this style played? You know, there's no, there's no right or wrong, No, but you either feel it or you don't.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. Obviously, if you look at fiddle playing across the country, it's really different from one end to the other. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. way different. And I think, and I'm not adverse on the classical end but i would assume classical is pretty standardized yeah from one end to the other it's not as if you have a slightly different style of classical playing sure uh, i think it stays pretty steady but yeah. fiddle playing man it, it's from one end to the other I mean, oh yeah Saskatchewan has its own thing and yep. manitoba and then ontario has its own thing and yep. then the whole east and the east is, has several types uh of, of you know fiddling as well yeah and it's neat, and it's all kind of just slightly different techniques and different yep. um, playing. It's kind of cool to listen and see how everyone does it. Yeah, yeah. And you probably would have got that uh, in barrage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we traveled. We traveled to so many places. Yeah. So it was that's that's why it was such a good education for me because it really opened me up to like this was uh, difficult scored music. Yeah. But you needed to really treat notes like a blueprint. Yeah. Here's your blueprint. Now go out and use your ears and use your feel. You know? And so when you go to the Shetland Islands, you're listening to how those fiddlers play. Yeah. Okay, if I want to really play true Shetland music, I have to play it this way. And you start doing it that. And then you notice that, oh, there's some similarities with the Cape Breton style. Yeah. And Holy cow, the Westerners in Canada play totally different. And then getting into like Mark O'Connor and Texas style, uh, you know, that competition style of uh, fiddle music is a whole nother animal altogether. Yeah. I just thought it was so cool. Like, you know, this was this was where I really started getting into music because before it's like. I had a great teacher who was showing me how to play a violin, yeah. but I just didn't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, I really like this style, so I'm really going to analyze and try to play this style. And then that would change six months later. Okay, now now I love bluegrass. Wow, this yeah. is cool. You know, So it's, I don't know, just finding what you love and then emulating those artists.
0: It's interesting. There really isn't an instrument that I know of that is quite as diverse as the violin Mm -hmm. and you you know you you don't think about it that much but it really just just in fiddling alone there's so many styles of fiddling like you just mentioned a whack of them and then yeah um over the country there's the gypsy style and all you know oh yeah and i mean guitar has a lot of different styles as well but i don't think it's as vast as um Well, you Uh, can do,
1: you can do so much with bow technique. Yeah. You know, if you're smooth and you're in tune, that's one thing. But making your bow, you know, skip to the music or, you know, dance to the music or however you want to analyze that. Yeah. How smooth do you want to be? How aggressive do you want to be? Do you want to have quick, uh, you know, triplet cuts? Do you want to, like, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. And that changes the style Completely. Yeah. You know how how much of that can you do with a pick? I don't yeah. know.
0: I know it's it's it true. I think the ma- the vast differences between the styles of violin are all it's all in the bowl mostly. Well, I a good chunk of it.
1: Yeah, and I mean you know we're talking about computers before we started. Uh, you know I I play a lot of session work where keyboard players have laid their string pads yeah. and then I come in. And I'll do a string section for somebody. And they're like, oh, it just sounds so much better. I wonder yeah. why that is. I'm like, well, it's the bow. Yeah, You know, you don't have a real bow there. Yeah, the, the sounds are amazing these days with what you can do with, uh, you know, string pads and that sort of thing. But you're not emulating a bow. You no. just, you can't. How yeah. can you?
0: Yeah, because it's every, it's different. Yeah. Every single time you play the note, it's going to sound different. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back. Um, so you're in Madison Hat, yeah. taking music lessons, and uh, kind of where did you go from there? Was your you you went on to schooling for violin after you're done?
1: Well, sort of. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned Jesse Zubot. We uh, the two of us together were in a rock band, an alternative mm-hmm. band. Uh, he was the lead guitar player, and I was the singer. Actually. Yeah in this thing. I think we we're oh gosh, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen, how however old you want to be you know, in yeah. order to hit the stage and impress the girls. <laughs> you know? So Twice. our Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we started started that and uh, our We we would get together, there was four of us and we were all kind of best friends and we were in a quartet together, classical quartet, but we would just, we were just so lazy and bad. Like we were, we were advanced enough that we could put in minimal effort and win competitions, but basically our rehearsals were talking about uh, two live crew and (laughs) NWA and Nintendo games and wrestling. (laughs) so that's kind of where our 16 year old heads were at and uh yeah jesse had this band it was a bunch of dudes from saskatchewan small town saskatchewan and so i went out there and i was kind of lead singing with them and that's you know i really started getting the bug to do music other than classical uh, through singing rock rock tunes and jesse went off and and uh, went to vancouver and I hadn't seen him for a while and he came back with his band called the Spirit Merchants and they came through Medicine Hat and all of a sudden he's playing like this wild rock violin with a blue electric Zeta oh, yeah. fiddle and I was just yeah. like, what the hell is this? This is awesome. Okay, well I can play a violin, maybe that's what I got to do. So that's why I wanted to branch out after high school and I went off to Caplano in, in North Vancouver. Yeah. So. Uh, started to get like really heavy into jazz, you know, really analyzing Stefan Grappelli and Jean-Luc Ponty, and, you know, and this was going to be my thing. Okay. This is, this is what I want to do. I'm sure this is what I want to do. Got very involved in it and I came home. Uh, so this is a, like a four year time span where I actually quit playing violin, uh, for almost four full years. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean the the type of classical music that we were into was pretty heavy you yeah. know where we'd spend just hours and hours a day like if my teacher said he needs to practice three hours my dad made sure i was practicing three hours yeah and this was not in music that i overly cared for so yeah. it was taking its toll on me so when i was 16 i went okay that's it i quit and i quit playing violin but i didn't quit music i was playing Uh, guitar and and singing in rock bands and alternative bands and that sort of thing. Uh, Then saw the Spirit Merchants. This was like, okay, this is cool. I want to play violin again. Went out to Vancouver, uh, did Capilano only for a year. Mm -hmm. So it was a year of schooling. And then I got this call from Dean Marshall out of Calgary, who was setting up this new group called Barrage. Yeah. And he phoned me and he said, it's, you know, it's kind of a graduate of the Calgary Fiddlers. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in being part of the Calgary Fiddlers. He's, no, no, this is something else. I'm like, yeah, that's not my style of music. I don't want to do it. And he goes, well, uh, we have a world tour planned for the next year. Like, we're going all over the place and we'll pay for it. And I went, that sounds pretty cool, like (laughs) 21 years old. Yeah. So did that and then like I said, that's where I got like serious into my schooling of uh fiddle music and really learning to love it again, you know, because uh my idea was I wanted to be an all-around musician, so I was really yeah. starting to play a lot of mandolin and guitar and even piano at that point, but I wasn't super focused on any one of those instruments. Yeah. And then, you know, and barrage was seven violins. So you had no choice but to get pretty heavily involved in your one instrument. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was that. And then it kind of, I don't know, it, it did a great service and a disservice to, uh, you know, what I wanted to do musically because yeah. I wanted to do it all. I just, I learned how to love it all.
0: You know? So Barrage was, uh, cause I'm pretty sure I, I haven't, I never saw it. I saw Obviously, bullfire, which mm-hmm. was kind of, they were kind of the same, were they not? Pretty similar, pretty yeah. similar, yeah, yeah. Um, so a bunch of different styles, yeah. band behind, yeah, group fiddling, solo fiddling, yeah, the whole deal, yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked, you know, obviously, you learned a lot from that. What was, yeah, what was the thing that when you were f- finished that that you figured, you know, what was the best thing that you learned from that? What was the worst thing you? learn from that? Uh,
1: well, the best thing was, um, that you could be heavily involved in world instrumental music and there's an audience for it. Yeah. You know, as long as you were passionate and good, you know, and you worked hard at it, people will come and check it out. Yeah. So there's always been that drive for me in no matter what I do, you can find an audience if you believe in it and you work hard at it. Yeah. So that was the good thing. The bad thing with it was it just got very showy, yeah. you know, and it wasn't so much about like we would do 45 minutes of music rehearsal. And then we were in like 10, 12 hours of dance rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm not a dancer. Yeah. And I always felt like an idiot because we would do, <laughs> you know, it was like uh, taking uh taking portions of maybe like the Cape Breton style where or even in Ontario where uh these fiddlers are just as good at step dancing as they are at fiddling. Yeah. And they were trying to make us do that. Well, you know, I I had zero step dance or tap dance training. Yeah. You know, so I'm up there and I just felt like the biggest idiot. And then on top of that, you know, they um we started getting played on every PBS station across North America, so the show had to be bigger. They it had to be. If we're gonna charge eighty, hundred dollars for a ticket, we have to give them more. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're we're training to walk on stilts and oh, yeah. doing flips off trampolines. And I went f this, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is okay. It's the, a now, sort of delay it, that's a Cirque du show. Yeah. That's exactly what it was, mm-hmm. you know. And for me, I.
0: <laughs> well, I think. What can happen in those circumstances is that you lose the focus of actually what the show was and what made it successful.
1: And that was always our passion as Mm -hmm. the instrumentalists going, guys, we're the ones out here every night and we see what works in front of this audience and what's not working. Yeah. And jumping off of a trampoline and doing a flip and then playing some reels. Yeah. People are, they're looking at it, but they're almost laughing at what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, whereas before the audiences were starting to pour in more and more just because we're laughing and having a good time and being ourselves and it, and the music was good. Yeah. You know, so it, yeah, like, like I say, it, it got very Cirque yeah. <laughs> way past the point of where I wanted to go with it. So it was time to move on.
0: Yeah. That would have been difficult for me. I, I'm not a dancer. I like for me yeah. in Ontario, a lot of the fiddle plays, they're all the same thing, step dancing. And- yeah. I was kind of bugged to do that a lot, and I was just like, from a very young age, I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) And not that I don't like it and respect it, and I think it's great. Yeah, it just wasn't me. Sure, and I just didn't want to do that at all. No, and I just like I remember from a very young age, just there was one thing I put my foot down on. It was that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess there was a. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say there was a portion of me that wish that maybe I did it, but, um, cause I probably still wouldn't want to do it, but yeah. you know, you figure that, well, it's a skill I probably could have done, but you know, yeah. if you don't want to do something and it doesn't, uh, serve up a good purpose cause you're not going to put hundred percent into it. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So when you do fin- you finished up with that? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, right out of, right out of that, then I was at this spot where I'm like, okay, so now what do I do?
0: Yeah. And how long, do you, how long did you do that for? Five years. Oh, Always it's a long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and my plan with that, I gave myself a one year goal. Yeah. I'm going to do this traveling around the world thing for one year. And then I'm going to go back to school and, you know, get my finish off my education. And I don't know, maybe I'll be a teacher and a performer on the side. I don't know. At yeah. that point, I didn't know. But I mean, I will say the one thing with Barrage, the work ethic was incredible. So we just got to do more and more bigger and better things, you know, like playing at playing at Walt Disney World is fun. Yeah. You know, uh, playing for the queen is pretty cool. Uh, You know, it just it was just really cool experiences all over the place. Uh, So, I mean, it was easy to stay for five years, but I mean... We we saw the rise and the plateau of it, and at that point we we could all see this is probably not going to go bigger than what it is. Yeah. So it was time to move on, and and I was also having a baby at the time. So uh, you know we got off the road and I'm getting all prepared to have this kid, and this, yeah. this is an exciting new time. And then I get a call from Phil Hall, who's an incredible bass player, uh, out of Calgary. And he actually kind of, whether he knows it or not, kind of changed my life musically. Yeah. He gives me a call and, and, uh, he's like, Hey, I hear your, uh, fiddle player. I'm like, yep. He goes, well, Tom Jackson's got this harebrained idea that he needs a fiddle player in the Huron Carol. Mm-hmm. And so this is his opening line to me. And I start laughing I'm like, <laughs> okay. He goes, and I don't know, maybe that's you. I'm like, Sure. I'd Well, I'd love to be a part of it. And he's like, "We need you to play guitar. We need you to play mandolin. Uh, do you sing?" I'm like, "Yep, yeah, yeah." He's like, "Okay, we need you to do all of that, and send me an audition. You know, send me a CD or something so I can have a listen." Yeah. Like, okay. So I sent it off to him, and he calls me back. He's like, "Kid, this is was great. So we want you to be a part of this." I'm like, "Wow. All right. Awesome." Mm-hmm so we go to the rehearsals for the Huron Carol and who the heck was on it there was a couple of country artists maybe Michelle Wright and Aaron Pritchett I think yeah and of course there's at that time especially there was uh fiddle and country music not so much anymore but at that time there was so I had you know some big parts in in that type of stuff and that was really what got me into the country world yeah and you know, Phil's, Phil's advice. And I worked, I, I mean, I really worked hard because I wanted to, you know, I was really nervous because I was out of my comfort zone now. Yeah. Now here's where I have to do some improvising. I have to really learn string lines and proper parts. And I want to do a good job because, you know, we're playing at the Jubilees. So if we're playing in front of 2,000, 2,500 people, I don't want to be the one guy that yeah. makes the mistakes on stage so worked at it and phil you know his advice was you know you're hey you're playing great but when it comes to guys on the road we don't want anybody to upset the apple cart because you get one bad egg and it ruins it for everyone so just be a good guy be a nice guy be a happy guy and be on time like all right and that stuck with me you know and it's good advice yeah, really mm. good advice. I think a lot of people don't get that. No, you know, and it's what it's what made the phone I think really start ringing. You know, part of it I'd say ten percent is making sure you know your parts, yeah. but the other part is being you know pretty decent human being on the road. Yeah. So right away, uh, Aaron Pritchett called me and he's like, "Hey, I want you to be in my band?" I'm like, "All right, sure." You know, and I didn't tell anyone, but at that point, I'm like. I've never played country music. Yeah. It was the one kind of style we didn't dabble with in barrage. Yeah. Uh, so this was all new to me. But I went in there and acted like I'd been playing country fiddle for years and years and yeah, and yeah through playing with him, it just kinda escalated into playing more with Michelle and playing with Derek Rattan and uh, you know, Jason Blaine and Gord Bamford and all these all these different country artists. And yeah. that's sort of where I've been pulling myself up for the last i don't know 12 years or
0: so it's interesting because it's it's different because most as a country fiddle player most of the country fiddle players just grew up with it right sure yeah and you know as you say that i'm thinking in the back of my mind was like Shit, that was that would have been that would have been <laughs> tough um oh yeah because it's not it almost country music almost something that just part of your soul to some extent right yeah for a lot of people yeah and to just kind of have to put yourself in there uh, oh yeah is that's not easy
1: well especially with in the back of my brain constantly going on was my strict classical teacher telling me how bad fiddle players are and I yep. don't want you to be like that you don't play scratchy you don't play out of tune but now And this actually is another portion that changed my life was I went for a workout and my mom had bought me this tape of Mark O'Connor. And this, I looked at this thing and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy looks ridiculous. And I left it on, you know, my, my table for months, (laughs) never opened this cassette tape. Mm -hmm. And I need, I was going for this workout and I went to run on the treadmill and I had no music, and that was the only thing sitting there. Yeah. I'm like, well, I gotta listen to something. So I open up this Mark O'Connor cassette and I put it in, and it friggin' blew my mind. Yeah, because, you know, again, I've been taught country fiddlers are bad, country fiddlers are scratchy, and they're out of tune, and they're, and I'm listening to this guy going, this guy is none of that. He's so clean, and he's so in tune, and he's playing stuff I know I can't play right now. Yeah. And that, yeah, that did everything for me. So all of a sudden I'm just like, okay, I'm doing this. This is
0: awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, he's pretty remarkable. Like it's just,
1: it's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He's one of those guys, you know, who's on that extreme level, right. That just kind of, okay. You know one day I'll never be close, but I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's just, yeah, it's just like superhuman being type skills, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of neat how you path. You've had certain, you've seen certain things, uh, whether, you know, back to your buddy who's playing the blue Zeta and, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting how you can almost pinpoint certain things in your life where, you pivot, right? Yep. And and those people, and you don't realize at the time how important it is, but you sure. look back at, at it, a little, you know, a little moment in time changes your whole life. Yep. Um, oh and, yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty awesome. I I think those moments are always really cool, and when yep. you look at back at them, you, you tend to realize, oh yeah, that is way more important than I thought it was. Yeah. 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 So, did you you like playing the at that time? Do you think that's where you wanted to sit, or are you still um, unsure if that's where oh, you wanted man. to be?
1: I, I still even today I'm st- I still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know because it is that it's just I just love music. Yeah. You know um, and I want to try to play it all. Yeah. I know I'm not going to perfect. I I don't know. Like maybe if I was a little more dedicated and really wanted to perfect my jazz skills, you know, eventually you could do that or come close to it. You know, but for me it's just I kinda wanna be an all-around musician. Yeah. And I love country music. So it's why I've been here for so long. Yeah. You know, just kind of gravitated towards it. And then you hear the Mark O'Connors and the Stuart Duncans playing on, you know, George Strait tracks or, you know, and that that type of thing. So that's yeah, the fiddle playing has a small part of it, but I still like a good story, and
0: yeah. you know. Yeah, it's interesting because you look at fiddle players. You're saying they, you know, they do get a bad rap for playing scratchy or whatever, um, but then you're in into it, and then you realize, well, they really don't, right? Um, it just it's edgier, or it's yeah, it's you know, has more grit. Um, totally. Yeah, and it's not really that they're scratchy. It's just it's not it's not considered perfect. Um, well, but it, that's what yeah. makes and what and when it comes down to it, I don't like listening to stuff that's perfect. No me. Either. That doesn't turn me on at all. I, I like stuff that's has soul and has edge, and even a yeah. vocalist. You know, yeah. you listen to someone sing perfect, you're gonna shoot yourself because it's just like <laughs> it's boring. Yeah, there's nothing great about listening to someone who sings perfect yep. i like to listen to someone who's just you know totally soulful and has a story to tell and and my, some of my favorite performances of people saying way out of tune and and didn't sing in time but there's something about their delivery that just yeah brought you in sure and i think that's something that doesn't get taught right you don't there was a while I, I i taught vocals for i don't know maybe about three four years and I would spend more time teaching people th- that, trying to get the feel together, try to get the emotion. Yeah. And because once they got that, everything else kind of fell into place Yeah. or wasn't as important. But if you mm-hmm. concentrate on the, you know, the really technical stuff, you can put aside some of that feel stuff that really, when it comes down to it, I think it's more important. Um, yeah. I mean obviously I like to play in tune and everybody, everybody does. Um, but you know, I rather have a note that's slightly out of tune that has soul or feel to it yeah. than something that's right in tune that's just kind of stale.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's always been my motto for the last several years is really treat, treating the violin like it's my voice, right? Yeah. Or treating your instrument like it's your voice. How would how would you vocalize this line, you yeah. know, do that on your instrument, you know, and if that's digging in and being real scratchy, you know, the quote scratchy, uh, you know, I've, I always, I guess I was, as a classical player, I was always kind of jealous of like these rock guitar guys who, you know, they could play these incredible, um, arpeggios, you know, at a lightning fast pace, but they could also hit their distortion pedal. Well, yeah. how do I hit my distortion pedal? Well, I dig in with the bowl, yeah. you know, and I get real, real gritty with it. So I really started thinking more like a guitar player or, or so I think yeah. anyway, while still treating my instrument like it's my voice.
0: Yeah. Probably very similar. Like my bowl is never tight. Yeah. It's always pretty loose like the wood is hitting the strings yeah all the time and that's part of the tone i want and that's part of the thing for me that i get so i can i can bounce my bow easier off the strings and create a percussive part sure you can't do that when your bow is tight no it just it doesn't react at all um (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) terrible for doing that um
1: i'm so bad for that when anyone says hey try my violin that's the first thing I do is loosen their bow. Yeah, me there, too. There you go. It's always way too tight for there me. There you go, buddy. i never. <laughs> I'd probably be able to play
0: your rig probably just fine, but yeah, every every time I've tried someone's violin, they hand me their bow, and it's always like you know, it's like stiff, and it's yeah. just like you. Oh, so you, no, just crank that back. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I don't play with. Um, I've never played with a, a chin rest or not a neck rest. I guess you call okay, it. Okay. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I never liked them I just never oh, ever had one so it's just yeah um it's never been something I've had to carry <laughs> okay yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah that's the other thing when I find I, I get a violin it just sits you know up on on your neck and it's just like it feels like a, right away it just feels uh I don't even know how to explain it it feels stiff sure for me yeah I feel like I can just kind of move it around a little bit yeah um but that's that's the way I've been <laughs> Definitely not a trained classical player, but um, becomes like I said, about
1: becomes about comfort, right? I used totally, to yeah. I used to look at uh, because again this is part of the classical uh, technique, you know, keep your wrist open on your left hand. Yeah, you know, you don't want to keep it crunched up and and grabbing the neck. And then when I started analyzing Stefan Grappelli, I'm like, he's smoothing in tune. Look look how he's holding his. I guess it's really it's about comfort and
0: your feel. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've seen plenty of guys that I've liked a lot and I look and they're a sloppy technique. Like yeah. It's just horrible. Um, but they're getting the job done. And Absolutely. Yeah. There's a Cajun Phil player, Doug Kershaw. You yeah. Seen? yeah. Yeah, he's sloppy. He? <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, his whole style is sloppy, but it's great. His hand's way up on the bow. It's not yep. even close to the the nut at all or anything. It's just like way up. And it's like, how do you do that? Yeah. But it's just, that's, that's the way he's learned. And there's nothing that's wrong about it. No, it's just, it's got attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So I know you had, I think the first time I started, um, kind of following you, you on Instagram or non Instagram, I guess it would have been Facebook and seeing different things is when you had the pair, uh, uh, What going on i really liked it it was a great oh thanks man um and how i know because you had some interest with that right did you not or yeah
1: yeah there was uh oh gosh all over the place yeah it was that was kind of a neat thing where i mean we were in the country world but the folk world was embracing us as well yeah and Also, I mean, it didn't hurt that we had barrage contacts, too. So we were able to go into Europe and we were able to go into the States and all across Canada. And and uh, yeah, it was that was an interesting thing. That's with my now ex-wife. Yeah. But uh, at the time, I think and this is, you know, again, more more of a learning experience was we thought, you know, if we make this we make this good and we work hard at it you know this is what people will enjoy the music but they really bought into uh, the fact that we were happy happy and married and together and making it work and yeah. you know and i mean i shouldn't say bought into it was real you yeah. know that, that that was a real thing and but it was almost more important you know the fact that we were you know a happy couple and look at how sweet they are on stage. Yeah. It was that was probably the biggest thing that we heard. You know, they they enjoyed the music, they enjoyed the singing and the the songs and that that sort of thing. But more importantly, it was the way we looked at each other. And <laughs> you know, well, that. it's
0: true. I mean, it, part of that is. I mean, you look at uh, Craig and Suzanne now with mm-hmm. Over the Moon with their group. That's a big chunk of going to see them. Is sure they're interaction between the two of them yeah and the music's great but you were to strip away all that other stuff yeah it would probably just not be anywhere close to where it is yeah um but there's that you know people like to see that i mean there's that yeah certain chemistry whether you're married or you just have chemistry with a person you're you're working with yeah um is a big deal yeah absolutely having a band that you have chemistry with yeah um, you can see that you know you can see. You've probably seen a million times you've seen a band where it's just a put together band. Yeah. And there's no chemistry. Everyone's just kinda playing their parts. And (laughs) then you get a band that's been playing together for years. They got great chemistry and there's maybe they're not as good, but man, there's something that Exactly that happens there.
1: And that's I mean, yeah, so I mean that that group was uh, it was awesome. You know, I was what I thought was living the dream life, right? So when that all kind of came to an abrupt end um, you know, we had talked about, cause I mean, we had made a lot of contacts at that point. There was, the phone was ringing like crazy yeah. and, but it couldn't go on, yeah. you know, it was just too, it was just too harsh on stage. And, you know, and I, of course I wasn't enjoying it, Yeah. you know, because it just, it lost, it lost the appeal even for us, Yeah. you know? So, and that, that translates to an audience, Yeah. you know, they can see when there's tension,
0: so basically, not to get too deep, but personality-wise, started not happen, and and it translated onto stage. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, then that that won't be fun. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we tried. Yeah, you know, we tried, and I, you know, I really wanted to make it work. Like, I'm yeah. like, we we've, we've worked way too hard, and now we're seeing the fruits of our hard work yeah. everything was coming to fruition and you know we were offered a worldwide record deal we were uh, had you know tons of tour dates planned uh, there was there was big stuff there was yeah. big stuff on the horizon and I was doing everything I could to keep the ball rolling yeah but she was done
0: yeah yeah well I mean stuff like that happens right and it's well that's it, obviously stuff I always find things not always meant to be and And
1: yeah, you know, people talk about how the music industry is hard and it wasn't like our hard work was paying off. The hard part was we had to work really hard to get a little bit of success. And by the time the success started pouring in, um, I think she was pretty burnt out, Yeah, you know, and needed some time off. Yeah. So
0: yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. people don't realize how much work it is. You know, mm-hmm. they see you show up at a gig and you play for an hour or two, or whatever and you go home and they think, you know, that's, you know, you get to yeah. travel around and you're see the so world lucky. and oh, you're so lucky <laughs> to be able to do that. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's once you come on the road tour and yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I know several people who, you know, they, they talk about that. I said, yeah, you would fold in like two days <laughs> on the road. Cause you just wouldn't be able to handle yeah the workload there's a big workload yeah and they're yep. long days they um, are um and the performing part as we mentioned before that's the icing on the cake it's all the other stuff that yeah really can really drain you and, oh yeah um, and then you got to still you still got to work as if you're at home on the road yep. so there's all the business stuff sure um, so you got to make calls throughout the day you got to be doing interviews you got to be doing this and that um and that, you know, it's like a full day and then you got to go do another job yeah. and then you got to travel and then you have to, you know, get on a plane and fly all night and do all that stuff. It, it gets tiring. And now it's more because you have to keep a social media
1: presence. Yeah. You know, it's like, so now we have all that, but make sure you do this as well. Yeah. And it's like, and there's, there's so many days where I'm like, oh, I don't even want to open Instagram, but yeah you're told you have to Hey, make sure you have a picture of how great the show was tonight, you know, and make yeah. sure the caption is intriguing. And <laughs>
0: yeah, it's tough, you know? you know, cause I've, since I started doing this podcast, I've had to rethink that stuff, you know, way more than I worried about it before. Sure. And for me, it was always kind of casual and here I am doing this, whatever, and just kind of keeping people up to date. Yeah. And. Now I have to look at it uh, with the podcast. It's like, okay, now I have to think about how to build the audience and get it out there and make sure it's interesting stuff you're posting. And, you know, I was always about never just posting anything. I always like to make sure (laughs) if I posted a picture, you know, I try to make it the best picture I could and and you know all that stuff but that was just me being picky but um it's way more than that and it does it's time consuming there's times in the day now when I you come back from a full day of working and um and then you got to think about I didn't even know last night I was we were playing Red Deer and I'm thinking oh crap I haven't posted what am I going to post here you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's like and you know I love the venue but it's it's not a beautiful venue so it's like you know how am I supposed (laughs) to take a picture to make this look you know, whatever. (laughs) And, and the same thing, you have to try to make them all interesting. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, certainly video wise. Um, you posted a good video the other day of, of the, uh, the mandolin tune you did. Oh, thanks. The Calvin style. Um, speaking of that, Calvin, um, I forget who I was doing. I was doing a show with, um, Mel Tillis. Oh yeah. In, Emmetton at the jube and his fiddle players uh, uh, in town knew, knew of Calvin and Calvin came over, brought his fiddle. Well, they all went in this back room and just started playing fiddle tunes like crazy. Oh, cool. And they're constantly yelling, Hey Darren, come on, come on in. And I was like, Oh crap. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> and, uh. <laughs> and you might be the same. I didn't grow up in a fiddle tune, society like right i i know some fiddle tunes yeah and i i did uh, uh the contest when i was really super young yeah but most of the time when i do a fiddle tune in a show it's most likely the orange Blossom special or it's it's a showy yeah tune i'm not doing a bunch of jigs and a bunch of reels and then, right and but these guys were living that and of course Kelvin knows like a million tunes. Nine million, yeah. So every once in a while I just walk by the room and they're all playing and all of a sudden they stop. How about this one? How about the Red River jiggity jaggity Juggedy jug? Whatever it would be, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's oh, all right. And they just rip into it and I'm thinking, Oh gosh, I don't know any of these tunes. So I voided the room like a the <laughs> plague, right? And oh, it's like yeah. I did not want to go in and just feel like a fool for not knowing any of these sure. tunes, right? Yeah. And and the same thing. It's just a different world. They it is. they they know all that stuff. And Calvin's great. I mean, he played like I was. just kind of I hung around because the playing was so good. Just yeah. but I you know I was hung around and just enough that didn't see me <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. pretend I was kept. Going, yeah, I got some more stuff to do on the stage here. Just tidy up these cables a bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm gonna shut that drape. Give me two seconds. <laughs>
1: Blinding (laughs) you.
0: Anyways, it was, uh, I, uh, I've learned a a few Calvin tunes um, for, uh, for show purposes, but yeah, there's You can just live and live and live those tunes, but that's not, that's not the type of player I, I no, am. No, me all.
1: either. And that was one of the wild things for me uh, in the barrage days because those these are kids, right? So they were, everyone's about eighteen, and I'm the old guy at twenty two, I think right. it was. And we would go to these Kayley's so we'd be in Scotland. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna participate in the Kaylee. I'm like, I don't know what a Kaylee is, but this sounds great. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they are busting out fiddle tune after fiddle tune. I feel like the biggest jackass. Cause <laughs> <So> I'm just <laughs> sitting there holding it. They're like, come on, take one. I'm like, I don't know any of these. <laughs> but these guys grew up, you know, they're coming out of the Calgary Fiddlers and it's just like hundreds of fiddle tunes off the top of their head. Yeah. Um, and you know even to this day you know I can go to you know a jam downtown and you know these guys can bust out four hours straight of nonstop fiddle tunes they just call the keys yeah. and about all I can do is you know I've gotten pretty good at listening to okay this is going to go around twice there's the form take one okay and then it's just I'm improvising over the changes but I'm not playing the tune
0: yeah you know, You're but at least around it, yeah. Yeah, it can yeah I can participate. I can, you know, I can hear it a couple of times and and scratch my way through it, like sort of like I, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's, and that's the tough part, you know, then people hear that and you get hired for, I don't know, a square dance gig. Devil's Dream! Yeah. How the fart does this go again? <laughs> I know. Can you just hum it to me or?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the exact same way. And, uh, I, enjoy playing just with a band way more. Yeah. Um, and I think as a fiddle player, um, when you, well, a lot of fiddlers when they grew up, they didn't have band opportunities, right? Oh, totally. So yeah. they play fiddle tunes. Yeah. And they will be maybe them and a, and a, piano player. Yeah. Um, and that's why they know so many tunes. I mean, that's, yeah, you know, I can probably play, you know, 500,000 country songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just be able to go and just do them. But, Sure. Um, as but as far as just you know fiddle tunes, yeah. Um, this is way too many. They all sound so similar.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it's sort of like polka music. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many polkas out there, and they all kind of sound the same. But yeah, once you get into them, you know how difficult and different they are all are. But yeah, just generally listening to them, they all kind of you know like it sounds a lot like the song from three songs ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Still slight little different changes, but yeah. So. Now you're working, you've put together Ghost Boy. Yes. So tell us about that project.
1: Okay, well, Ghost Boy, it first of all we named everyone's like, what's up with the name? Yeah. And the name is basically uh, this is a group of session and side guys. Uh, you know, when you're playing when you're especially when you're playing with a famous singer, yeah. you know, for an audience will sit there and for two hours they'll watch Mel Tillis. And you know, at the end of the show, you'll always get one person who goes, "Were you up there? Was that you yeah. on the fiddle?" You know, so you're the ghost boy. So that's <laughs> you know, we're we're there but kind of unseen. Yeah. So that's where the name comes from, and uh, it's myself and Aaron Young, uh, who was the guitar player in Barrage. Yeah. So uh, just a really, a really gifted, uh, like. I would say genius level player. I don't like to use that word, but uh, with some guys, it's it's just true, yeah. right? Where they're just, like we're talking about Mark O'Connor, how he yeah. just has this natural gift of, you know, playing the way he does. That's, that's Aaron with his, you know, multiple styles and just really gifted jazz player, but, you know, gifted country player and rock player and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we started that, I mean, we're, you know, Cal, what is Calgary? 1.3 million people, something like that. Yeah, And we hadn't seen or talked to each other in 15 years after leaving Barrage. Wow. And all of a sudden, we moved three blocks from each other wow. in this massive city. And I went, well, I guess we should get together and jam. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we were getting together once a week and jamming. Yep. And I said to him, I'm like, you know, the kids these days are videoing this stuff and putting it on the interwebs. And uh, so we, we did that. We started videoing the stuff and putting it online. And I mean, it did exactly what we wanted it to do. It just kind of gave some notice. And we started getting corporate work around Calgary. And then the corporate work was turning into like house concerts and then into real concerts. And yeah. so we had to start treating it like a band. I mean, it was never really our intention to start Ghost Boy the band. But we just thought, well, you know, there's there's interest, so let's write and let's let's do some stuff. And did that and then through the cover tunes we were putting online, we started getting uh, you know, the the artists that actually originally did the work getting a hold of us and just saying, Guys, good job (laughs) you know. Yeah, Yeah. like the first one that kind of blew me away was we we did uh, Billy Joel's She's Always a Woman to me. Yeah. And through Instagram, and at the time, I didn't even know how to work Instagram. I didn't know you could message people. Yeah. And it was my son goes, you have some messages in your inbox. I'm like, oh, there's an inbox? Okay. So I click on it, and it's Billy Joel's guitar player. And he goes, hey, guys, just want to let you know uh, we're in Madison Square Garden. Um, watching me and Billy and the band are watching your guys' version of She's Always a Woman to me and Billy wants you to know it's one of the best versions he's ever heard. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, well, that's friggin' awesome.
0: (laughs) How many weeks ago did he send that? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't even respond. Whatever, Billy. (laughs) 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 Oh,
1: that's awesome. But that's kind of how it got started. So then we were like, well, we should, I mean, if we're getting, you know, uh, reactions like that, we should just do more of this. So we started doing more of it until, I mean, it got... It started getting really busy, especially yeah. with corporate work around Calgary. There's not, it's not like what it used to be, but there's still a fair bit. It's enough to give us a really good living. Yeah. And then, so we're doing that. And then on the side recording, uh, recording an original project. So, and then deciding what we're going to do with that. So we're now we're booking tours and, you know, doing the Saskatchewan tours and the Alberta tours and, and uh, yeah, and it's. I don't know. It's really well received. So as long as it keeps being fun and uh, it's probably the most free I've been on stage ever. Yeah. Because there's never, the form is literally never the same for any song. So that makes it really exciting. Yeah. You know, sometimes it works out amazing and sometimes like, oh man, that, I don't know what I was going for there, but.
0: It's neat to see. You know, like you mentioned the name of the, the group, Ghost Boys. It's nice to see a lot of, if you want to put it background, musicians coming forward now. Yeah. And the internet really and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff really elevates that for yep. a lot of players. Oh, yeah. And we're seeing a lot more of that now where it's not just. Yeah. And really being a backup musician, is it's a gig. It's just it's a job. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that any of those people couldn't be the front person. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of them could never be the front person because totally we all know those people. They're you know just barely getting through a gig is socially <laughs> enough for them. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of great musicians who should be front people. Yeah. Because uh, they've got everything. Um, if I mean, there's a, there's a lot of front people that should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but. Totally. Um, yeah, it's neat. It's neat seeing that involvement. Um, I mean, yeah. it's really, it's really changing over the last bunch of years. I think. I think uh, so too. Yeah. And then those opportunities to actually go out and be the guy, you know, and yeah. look at um, yourself. And I, going back to Craig and Suzanne too. And yeah, um, it was. I've known Craig for, ever, sure. and it's so cool seeing him as, the front guy. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, and it's a place where he probably never thought he should be, um, but now that you see him do it, it's like, yeah, you totally, yeah, totally belong there, yeah. And uh, it's a neat, it's it's a neat feeling, um, yeah. And I think he's as a backup musician for a long time. You always still kind of just feel always like a backup musician for a lot of people, even though when you come yeah. up front, and it gives a different feel to going to see an artist like that because it's not there's not as much ego
2: totally yeah
0: it's more of just oh we're out front and we're this is fun and let's just have fun right yeah um there's not usually as much as thinking about you know this is my how's my hair looking <laughs> and, you know do i have the right outfit on and it's more about yeah. let's just get out there and and do our thing totally
1: um that's always that's kind of been my thing in the back of my head too is um an artist's ownership of their side guys yeah. or their their thought process of the how they own these guys. Yeah. And it's as soon as I start feeling uncomfortable with an act, you know, that's when I know it's time for me to move on. Yeah. And that's what I mean, that's what Ghost Boy is. It's allowing me to keep doing this other stuff, but here's my artistic outlet. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know why it bugs me. <laughs> and it shouldn't bug me. But, you know, the of being introduced as, this is my fiddle player. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's I like, hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I'd rather hear, this is my friend, Denis, and he plays fiddle in our band. Yeah. You know? It says the same thing, but it's different, if yeah. that makes any sense.
0: No, I totally, I totally agree with you, because there's a lot... Like you said, the ownership. There is... And it's not really on purpose. Right. Um, but there is a bit of that you know in there I've I've felt that a, a a bunch of times where you sure um you're doing a gig and you you know you get to, this is you know my fiddle player and it's like nah, I'm yeah you fiddle player I, I'm doing a lot of other things this is yeah <laughs> I'm just happen to be here today right yeah um yeah and but I think it's just just a way that's people have gotten introduced for so long that yeah. as a front person you really don't think that but it it comes across sometimes that way and another other people they really that's the way it is they this is my band and yeah. you know i own them you know sort of to some degree yeah. and as you say when you get to that point it, you know it can feel uncomfortable and that's the time to the time to go i always feel yeah. it's i you know i always know there's a separation of course there is people have paid money to come see them they haven't they're not coming because you know such and such is on drums or, right. you know, unless, yeah. unless it's their wife or their family, you know, <laughs> exactly. it's, they're not coming for that. They're sure. coming to see that person sing, and yeah. you are there, your job is to support right. them. Yeah. Um, but it still is a group effort. yeah. Um, and I think it needs to, to keep a good tight knit family on the road. It needs to stay um, a group effort. Yeah. And then there's other times I think too, where, having that control is important Mm -hmm. depending on the people who are in your band sometimes you need to kind of keep things that way to keep everybody under control you know sometimes too sometimes you need that you know
1: I love I love being a part of a team that's got a great band leader you know and that that never has to be me in fact I don't even want that position I'd rather have you know the guy who's a little bit more aggressive, who's not afraid to tell it like it is. I'll let that guy be the bad guy yeah. because it'll make me feel at ease, yeah. you know, with whatever's going on. And I mean, typically 99% of the time, nothing's ever malicious and nothing's ever, you know, a big deal. But I just, you know, if I'm going out and I'm spending full days away from my family, I want to be relaxed and happy and uh, enjoying what I do Yeah. as opposed to on edge of someone who's aggressively telling you you're only worth 250 bucks and yeah. don't forget don't forget your place like well, okay I know where my place is yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's at home on my couch watching tv that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it, it, yeah it's a different um I think it's changed a bit I think sure yeah over there the last bunch of years and you can see it now kind of on the road you see everyone posting and it really you know seems like a very group effort you know you see the yeah. kissels and stuff and all that you sort of follow their they seems very much a team yeah um, yeah but you know but i think back in the day a bit more it was a little bit more uh separated and um but i think you know it, it all changes. I mean, I think everyone's. Oh, yeah. You know, I think a younger generation of musicians come up and they, they look at things completely different than than what we do. So.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they fit in just you know differently. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it's always interesting to see a behavior of of artist and band. And yeah. you can And I can understand too. You see, every once in a while, you'll see a, an actual artist or something all of a sudden they're out on a new tour and it's a whole new band yeah yeah and they go wow what happened to the last band and it's like well sometimes it just doesn't you know it doesn't click right yep or there's a bad apple that causes exactly you know and you yep. just have to clean everybody out and just start again yeah um, that's right and it, it, you get sour grapes and you know it's like people start talking well we should have done this we should have been paid this we should have done that we yeah you know, yeah and you get that person that starts the rumors and then it just starts swirling and everybody else starts getting in on it and then oh. all of a sudden you got to go okay we got to clean house let's yeah, start again yeah.
1: see there you go it goes back to don't upset the apple cart
0: yeah you know
1: it's like why why would i want to be the one who's putting little little bits in other guys' ears if everyone's happy you know let's yeah you can start start your own ghost boy start your own you know if you're unhappy here find an outlet that's going to help make you happy on on the outside so that every time you go back still a good time
0: yeah you know yeah and you know if you keep returning to the same thing and knowing it's the same thing and you're not happy with it well that's your fault totally yeah like you said just go do something else then yeah um yeah i think that's you know you take a look back what. um you were Taught earlier about you know just get along and make sure when you and that here on Carol tour, mm-hmm. um, that advice is really important. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, just having fun and being able to hang on the road and still do a really great job is is the most important. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm for me, I'm a kind of a more of the aggressive all to say whatever type of person. Sure. But for me, it comes from a place of I want to make it better. Yeah. It's never about um, that nitpicky, weird, you know, person who has to complain about everything. Yeah, It's, you know, how can we make this better? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good place.
1: I think so, too.
0: Yeah, because I think lots of times things just keep rolling. Nobody says anything sometimes. Yeah. And I've always been the fact, I, I've never been afraid to kind of just, you know, what are you doing? You know, even if it's the lead singer, (laughs) what are you doing? That whatever that move you just did there, yeah, no, you shouldn't be doing that. That looks (laughs) stupid, you know. Or how come the band's doing this? How come we can't do this? Or let's throw out some ideas and work this, yeah. And then uh, that helps everybody. Um, See, I'd love playing with somebody like you.
1: Yeah, you know, because I love that. That's really, I mean, it's why I love Gord Bamford's band so much like the guys are great and the guys and girl Mm uh they're great but it's you you know that if you do something dumb somebody will say something and i just think there's man people's feelings get way too hurt yeah you know it's like if this person cares about me to make sure everything's top notch why why get all bent out of shape yeah you know we were on a session And Ryan Davidson, who's an unreal guitar player. Um, We went through the form a couple of times. And then, you know, in the mic, he can't just go into the room and go, Denise, I think you were were playing a six minor when it's supposed to be a four chord. You know, he has to say it on the mic. Like we Mm -hmm. got times ticking. Hey, I think you're hitting a six minor or whatever the thing was. Right. And I'm like, oh, thanks, man. You know, and I think that's how it should be. You know, instead of, why the hell did you say it over the mic? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to look like a jackass when the when the track comes out on the radio and I have to get taken out of the mix because I was playing it wrong. Yeah, you know, I'd rather have a friend there going, "Hey, buddy, step it up." Oh, thanks. You know.
0: Yeah, because yeah, it pushes you harder, right? And it's like yeah. it makes you um, a better person in every sense. Um And yeah. it's it's you know, and it's a lot of how you deliver it, but yeah, I always. F- like that you just let it out and let it go and if something's not right yeah um then you know how can we make this better? because nobody's perfect
1: and that's where you see uh artists and music itself excel you know when people care you know that somebody's saying something to make sure that it's improved i've played with lots of bar bands where the artist is more comfortable they'd rather have somebody that doesn't say anything and you know there's Again, nobody upsetting the apple cart, but there's also poor music going on. Yeah. And it's like, I step into those situations where I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that again. That was gross. That felt awful. Yeah. You know, because everyone would rather be happy and complacent than improving. Yeah. You know, put me in a spot where everybody's better than me. So I have no choice but to get to the next level. That's where I want to be every night.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's a fun place to be because it it's just challenging all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. on a touring, a big tour a few years ago and really, you know, really, really great Ontario musicians. And I'm not going to say who they are. Uh, <laughs> but we were like five shows in and I'd be playing and it's like, damn, it sounds like I'm out of tune all the time. Like, it, like yeah. I'd be playing and it's like, how come I feel? I never, and I was embarrassed because I, I was like, I couldn't get my stuff together, right? Sure. And it just didn't feel right. So then I just kind of repatched my stuff and put my tuner in line so it wasn't bypassed when I pressed down on it. So, and all of a sudden, I'd be playing, look down, it's like, damn, I'm right in tune. Yeah. But it sounds like I'm out of tune. And and then I spent the next show figuring out what the heck is going on. And then I start figuring out okay, steel and guitar <laughs> are out of tune. Yeah. And they're doing lots of bending and sliding and all that stuff. They're not like you wouldn't be listening, go, oh, they're really out of tune. But right. between the both of them playing full chords and bending and stuff, and I'm coming in with a single note, I'm the one that sounds out of tune yeah. against their wide blend. Yeah. And finally, I just said, okay, you know, this is one of the best guitar players in Canada, one of the best steel players in Canada. S- screw it. So we <laughs> rehearsing, I just stopped. Guys, we got to fix this. Mm-hmm. I said, it sounds like I'm in, out of tune. I'm dead nuts in tune. Yeah. And you guys are playing really wide, and we need to tighten that up. Sure. And they just kind of looked. <laughs> <laughs> and, sort of like, um, and sure enough, they're like, yeah, okay. And they they obviously weren't realizing it, and it yeah. sounded fine. And then they started paying attention to it. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And within two or three shows, all good. Sure. You know? And I, I I just couldn't sit through the whole tour like that because it was uncomfortable as heck. Yeah. And uh, anyways, yeah. But if I didn't say anything it would have been dreadful for me. yeah and, and I, that would have been so uncomfortable for me and then sure and i don't want to feel like i'm the one and not that anyone in the audience is going to go hey man i feel players up. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. they, they don't know really but yeah, yeah. it's important enough that it was like it needed to be addressed but it's like sometimes you know do i should i say to these guys out there yeah you know
1: yeah i think you know with anything there's there's a way to get your point across and there's a way to get along with people without being a dick. Yeah. You know? Um, But if you don't say anything, that's even more of a disservice. Yeah. I think, you know, don't we all want it to be as good as it can possibly be? Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. I think there's, there's times when I work, I'm like, you figure, okay, this is as good as it's going to get sometimes. (laughs) But then there's other times where it's like, yeah, this can be a lot better. Let's get it. Yeah, a lot better. And there's sometimes where you can just you can be satisfactory. Yeah, it gets the it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it can roll. Everyone could be happy. But when it can be better, um, you know, I, th- I think it's just a personality thing for some people. For me, it's just constantly on my mind. Sure. All the time. How can we, you know, but that's I think in the long run, what makes people successful? exactly it's that you have to keep pushing and and keep pushing yeah keep making it better and um even if it's for your own satisfactory maybe people won't even notice that there's a change but if it makes you feel better that translates to the audience yeah right just the personality of you being more comfortable on stage because now it's better yeah um, it's not, you're not thinking about something that's going on now you can do your job properly yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly
0: so Ghost Boy, um, where do you see that going? Are you just kind of taking it as it goes, or are you just kind of well, game plan on that?
1: Yeah, taking it as it goes. But uh, you know, we've we've got an album we're really proud of. Like it's yeah. it sounds killer, and uh, that's that's step one. You know, so now we've. Uh, I mean, we bu- we've been booking a lot of our own shows, but we do want to get the music out to people. So we're releasing. Um, we're releasing tunes to radio, but it's more like the CKUAs and the indie radio. Yeah. We'll probably send stuff out to the mainstream as well. But I mean, you know, my, I've had a long, long life in the mainstream circuit and I know uh, where you need to be and how you need to be in order to get played there. Yeah. This probably doesn't have, <laughs> you know, any legs, especially, you know, in the Canadian market. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a little bit more diverse than that. So we're, you know, we've been applying to folk festivals and uh, even some of the jazz fests and some of the country fests and, you know, and it's still, is still new. Yeah. So still new, we still want to get it out there. It's definitely our passion. You know, we just got off a 28 day um, Saskatchewan Alberta run yeah. and, you know, the, the response was incredible. You know, it just sort of solidified for us. Yeah, the music's good enough. Yes, the songs, people are digging the songs and they're buying, you know, in a, in a world where we're told nobody buys CDs anymore. Well, we came home with <laughs> a lot of extra dough that says otherwise. Yeah. So, and you know what? And yet we worked hard on it and it's still going on Spotify and Apple Music. So you can still listen to it for technically free for your $10 a month or whatever it is, you know, so it's just, it's, it's the age we're in and we're passionate about it and we love what we're doing and we want to get it in front of people.
0: So it's interesting that you can do Instagram videos or FaceTime or Facebook videos, uh, like you've been doing. And it's almost like releasing your music to radio yeah in a way it's almost replaced that to some extent yeah a where bit, yeah. you can build an audience you can get all these people listening and you can track how many people are. like years ago of releasing your single to radio oh, you know you'd have well this station's playing it here this station's playing it here you get false kind of you know well it's become you know we're top <laughs> 10 in wherever some yeah town you get excited because you've made the t- well, it what doesn't mean anything right um, but you get 20,000 views or 100,000 views or a million views or whatever I mean that's significant I mean that's way yeah. more powerful than than getting played on the radio almost nowadays to some extent totally um, yeah I know Rosemary uh, who I did a podcast with from Vancouver I mean she said she said I think 17 million views on her Hallelujah video. I mean, that's yeah, that's American Idol numbers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's crazy. Um, and how would you? Yeah. And that really, and in, in theory, really cost you nothing. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. You're
0: not doing a radio tour. You're not out. Um, you know, doing all those things. And that opportunity to be able to do that, it's huge and really significant. Yeah, um, especially for probably more of a an act like yours or someone who's Mm -hmm. not like you know a straight up country um male vocalist you know radio friendly whatever you want to call it um they have to fight through the the typical battles but yeah um you know there's i think there's a good space for um a lot of shows where you're not out in the road with two buses um or three buses or big production and, and have an agent and have promoter and and this person to pay and that person to pay. Um, and by the time you come home from your Saskatchewan run, you're probably doing just as good as, or better than a lot of the major artists that are out touring now.
2: Well, yeah,
0: probably if you were to compare apples to apples, when you came home and you check, you know, how much money was made? It's probably not that far off. Yeah, and you know, you, I see it. I run the numbers on the road. I, you know, you calculate and you know what this costs, and you know, yeah, what it costs to take two buses and the transport and production and pay a full band and, and you know rooms yeah. and and all that stuff. You take all that stuff off. There's not a whole lot of room left over. Um, no, that's for
1: sure. Well, you know, and with the with the amount of years that I have doing this now. You learn so much. Yeah. Like, I probably, I think I've learned more about business by playing with Gord Bamford than anything else. Yeah. Like, he's a ruthless businessman. Really good at it. I mean, there's a reason he's selling out shows and he's significant, I don't know, years and years after he started. Yeah. You know, and it's analyzing that and, okay, what is he doing how is he going about it it's it was interesting they're out on the dive bar tour right now yeah he was talking about uh recording and releasing the dive bar single a year ago so he's a year a year ahead you know he knew all of this was going to happen and yeah. you have to think that way you have to there's i'd say i don't know let's throw a number out there 80% of musicians love what we do and we just want to do it and we just want it to be easy and we just want to go out and be successful, but we want somebody else to do the work. Yeah. You know, if I just hire a manager, I'll, I'll be this much better. If I just had a really good agent, no, that's all bullshit. It's like you have to, if you want to be successful, you have to do it. You have to know how to do it. You have to have the, the, the know-how and the drive, yeah. you know? So when we went out on this tour, we own the PA you know, because if that's, that's part of the pricing with us, this is X amount of dollars. Here's, here's the group. We'll bring the PA. We'll set everything up. Oh, and I'm also going to come out with hoodies, toques, shirts, coffee mugs, buttons, stickers, you know, and there's lots to choose from. Bring them to the, the merchandise table, uh, have something to look at, you know, it's, uh, it's just understanding that there's more to just going on the stage and going, I'm gonna put out a heartfelt performance. Okay, so you did that and it was 90 minutes of awesome. Now what? Yeah. There's so much more to it, right? So, and it's been years and years of just discovering that even, even now, it's like, okay, how can we improve this? How can we make it better? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I know even now on almost every little tour I'm doing, you learn how to do it better. Yeah. And it's really the same thing repeated over and over again. Um, but there's a better way to do it and there's smarter way to do it. Um, and things change too. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's not, people aren't spending what they used to do. I mean, there's so many options, you know, there's, they can stay at home and watch Netflix all night long or, Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, there's, and there's so many shows for them to see. There's so many options entertainment wise for people. Yeah. Um, you have to make sure you figure out a way to get them. Yep. To your show. Exactly. Uh, and there's only so much money for people to spend on going seeing, you know, if they go to see Garth Brooks comes through town and they spend a few hundred dollars to go in and see him in Edmonton and go, f- you know, get a hotel room and, and do the whole thing. Well, they're only going to do that so many times, right? Or maybe once. Yeah. So then what's left over for everything else. Right. So yeah, you have to make sure you're the one that they want to want to see. Exactly. Um, or if they come see it, they're going to want to come see you again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it takes a lot. There's a lot to it besides just getting up on stage. It's, I think <laughs> yeah. that's the easy part. That's the easy part. Yeah. yeah. That's the fun, easy part. And you, everything else is just a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. But it's fun. I think for me anyways, I love learning all that other stuff.
1: Sure, yeah. It's
0: challenging. It's like Yeah. I think you get to a point where you feel comfortable with your craft as a musician, right? Or I mean, you're always going to keep working and keep getting better, but you get to a comfort zone.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you you learn you don't even have to it's not about doing everything yourself, but like what I've learned is I suck at grant writing and I hate doing it. So yeah. I'd love to pay $300 to have a grant writer do it for me. You know, if you have the extra cash, because I don't want those hours of my day wasted. I'm going to give it to someone who's really good at it, who has a really good success rate. Yeah. There you go. And then I feel great when the money comes in and we don't have to pay for our album. Yeah. You know, or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, but you learn all those little aspects of the business. What, What takes up your time? what can you put more time into?
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun learning all that stuff. And, and, yeah. and, and same thing, you can't do everything yourself. No. <laughs> um, there's certain people who, but then you can learn from what they did. Right. And maybe yep. the next time around you can do it because now you sure. see how it's done right or something like that. But yeah. So fiddle wise, let me ask you, what type of fiddle do you play now?
1: My fiddle. Okay. So mm. this is one of those urban legend type stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 1779 Paulus Castello Italian violin. Yeah. And came from Italy, over to Seattle, up to Vancouver, to Medicine Hat. So I got it when I was 15. My parents bought it for me, $3,000 yeah. for the fiddle and the... Was it? No, I think we had to buy the case separate, but fiddle and a bow, and it was about $3,000, $3,500 So the story with that goes, um, it was me and Jesse Zubot and Michael Vandersloot. So my my teacher had brought it uh, three different violins. We tried all these violins, picked the ones that were the best for our voices. So had this violin for years, uh, joined Barrage with it, um, and took it into a luthier because I wanted to get it just kind of fixed up. We were heading out on the road. And... I just kind of said, Hey, any idea what this thing's worth today? And mm-hmm. you know, he looks at it and he's like, well, it's a, there's a fake tag on the inside. So it's, yeah, probably, I don't know, maybe 3000 bucks. I'm like, Oh, okay. There you go. So, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's it. And so I, I go to leave and he goes, Oh, hang on a second. He's got this great big book. Yeah. He goes, come here a minute. So we go back to the book and then he, Finds the Castello line of violins. He's like, "See, these are his violins. They look a lot different than yours." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay." So it's definitely a fake. And then he flips a couple of pages and goes, "But there was ten that looked like this, and that was one of mine." Wow. And he goes, "He goes, I, if, I'd need to see the paperwork, but I would probably appraise it at sixty thousand right now." Wow. That was like twenty five years ago. Yeah. So. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, all of a sudden now you're left with this where, what do I do with this? I guess I yeah. hang it on the wall or something like that. But I just never did, you know. In Barrage, we were sponsored by uh, this violin company. When it started getting pretty acrobatic, then none of us wanted to play our good violins. Yeah. So it did stay at home for a while, but I've been touring on the road with it, you know, ever since I left left Barrage. Um, got it appraised again five years ago and same guy is like, eh, I don't know, you probably get 115,000 for it. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, but I mean, that's, that's, if you could sell it for that, right? I mean, it's yeah. Or I if you
0: want us, you mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's only worth if you're buying and trading and selling. Exactly. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, I feel that same way too. Cause it's, you don't want to sell it. Yeah. You know, why would you want to sell I'd that?
1: Probably but, never sell it. No, you know. And then on top of that, so then the weirder story I mentioned, I was going to Capolano, and I was the only violin student in the school. Yeah. And guy comes up to me, goes, "Hey man, you left your bow in one of the practice rooms." I'm like, "Well, that, that's not mine." He said, "Well, you're the only violin player here, so it's got to be yours." I'm like I'm telling you, this is not my bow. I'm like, but I'll put it in the case, and I took a picture of it and put a, you know found bow, you know, call this number, and that pamphlet stayed on the wall for the whole school year, and nobody ever called, I'm like, well, okay, and then the bow sat in my case for, I don't know, four years, something like that, and it was the same luthier who's working away on my violin, he goes, oh, you have a bowlander, I'm like, what's that, (laughs) he's (laughs) like, that's that bow, it's a bowlander bow, I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, that's a nice bow. That's a $5,000 bow. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I would take it out and like, so that's my current good bow. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Good ching Yeah, yeah, so kind of, you know, lucky breaks there, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's nice to have uh well, it's instruments only worth what it's worth to you, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's nice to know that you've got something uh, that's really awesome. Um, But for me, as I've always uh, with instruments, it's always a weird thing. Some people really just you know, there's not a scratch on them. There's not a you know, I'm not that person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like a little, probably a little bit too rough, a little bit too careless. Oh Um, man! But I'm not stupid with it. I just you know, I just I like to have them look like I like to have a little wear, you know. And yeah, I'm not polishing them every single day or yeah and my instrument looks like I've played it sure and uh, that's oh. the way I like it um, well people
1: they think I'm crazy to bring it on the road and it's I mean I'm not gonna lie it's got dings on the scroll and on the body and like it's it's been worked out yeah <laughs> there's no question but I mean that's I my thing is I refuse to look at the value and believe it's a hundred thousand dollars yeah you know to me it's just i like this and i like the sound of it and this was a gift from my folks and i'm gonna play it every day you know and who cares who cares if it's worth a million dollars i mean you know again people think i'm crazy with that philosophy but you know is it really it's worth a million dollars if it's sitting in its case and it's not being played? I just had a guy come over yesterday actually. He's had a violin in the family for the last 95 years yeah and they opened it up and there's a Stradivarius label on the inside. Right. so he came he brought it over and he figures it's worth eight million dollars. I'm like doesn't sound like an eight million dollar violin. Sorry, mm-hmm. you know he's well. You know, I'll get it appraised. I'm like, well, yeah, you should, because I'm not an appraiser. Yeah. But I can tell you right now, it's not. Yeah. Just by the sound of it. You know, I love the sound of mine, but is it worth a hundred grand? Because somebody said so? I don't know.
0: Yeah. I know. It's tough to put in a number on something like that, right? It's...
1: Yeah. And again, somebody... It's like a painting to s- some degree. You know? Somebody would have to want to buy it. Yeah. In order for it to be worth that much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And it be, you know, it's interesting because I always, you think about an instrument like that. Okay, what, what do you do with that instrument once you get old, right? Yeah. And do you pass it down to someone? I You know, I've seen it before. Um, you pass an instrument down, someone passes away, they get this beautiful instrument, and then the family has it, and then it just sits yep. with somebody in the closet. Yeah. And for me, that's, that's wasteful. Totally. You know, give that violin or sell that violin or... Yeah. You know, get it to someone who's going to play it. And exactly. that's the memory I think that should live on. Yeah. Not that, you know, it sits in the closet maybe every eight years. You go, oh, look at this. And you open it up the case. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you close it again. Yeah. And that's what happens. And that's where you, you know, people find a lot of great finds. Yeah. Once in a while, you're, you'll, you know, I get calls too from. People, hey, can you look at my violin? I say, well, I can look at it. I can't tell you what it's worth. Yeah. Or anything, but I can tell you if it sounds any good. Yeah. And, you know, almost ten out of ten sound horrible. <laughs> they're just, yeah, they're yeah. just terrible. Yeah. But they're you know, back of their mind they're hoping it's gonna be this violin that's worth, you know, hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, right? Yeah. And then the same thing, you say, Well, they guess I'm like, Well, who's what are you gonna do with it? And who's actually gonna Yeah, pay that much for it? Exactly. Um, even if they, someone came to me with the violin worth that much, it's like, well, sorry, I'll give you a couple thousand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's but, just it, right? Yeah. Like,
1: what if, okay, so someone's listening to this podcast and they steal my violin. I would just say, hey, if you can get $100,000 for it, you deserve it. Yeah. You know, good luck finding the person that wants to spend that kind of money. Yeah. So, you know, but don't do it or I'll kill you. Yeah, <laughs> i'll hunt you down
0: yeah. what's well, been cool chatting um i'll have to wrap it up i have to, to get to my gig yeah man um but yeah it's uh saw you lots on uh we've never met before i don't think ever no no so um it's been a neat thing about this podcast i've been meeting some people that i've you know you see in the background and never have really connected in any any way but uh yeah. have mutual a lot of mutual friends and um I uh, really love your playing and I like what you guys have been doing with Ghost Boy and uh, your whole career. So uh, thanks, kudos man. to you. You're doing the, the right thing. And, and, uh, I hope that Ghost Boy really takes off. I think it's going to be a good thing.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, and I love listening to these too, so don't stop them anytime soon. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: I'm still finding my way, you know, it's one of those things where it's really super new. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's cool. It's fun. It's yeah. neat. I mean, it's, I like hearing stories from, from, and uh, you know, from everybody and learn from, from everybody and, and everyone has a great story and it's should be, should be out there. So absolutely. It's not all about the, you know, Garth Brooks in the world. I mean, everyone, <laughs> everyone knows their story, right? Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, but even, you know, those type of people, most of their interviews are what? 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. three exactly. minutes on a, you don't really get to know, um, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you with the Garth Brooks story how, where he what age did he start playing or what was his first band or, I yeah. guess you could probably do some Google research and and really find <laughs> out. But yeah, um, I think I like those stories. I think they're important to get out there. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. I think I've always thought musicians have the best stories. Yeah, they're just they're the most entertaining, funniest people wild stories, you know, and that's why I love stuff like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to grow a little bit more. I think the, there's a lot of stories for people to tell, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's neat to, to get the background. But I think the next time around when I get back to people again, yeah, we're going to dig a little deeper. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming out. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the swag. That's really awesome. Yeah, man. And uh, looking forward to upcoming stuff. Hopefully we get to play it together sometime. Sounds cool. great. All right. Just no fiddle tunes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, bud. Yeah.